Turn your Bibles, if you would, to the Psalms. The Psalms are not chapters. Some people say, well, Psalm chapter 2, but it's not. The Psalms are actually songs that were written. Some of them written by David, and some of them were written for David. And so there's a lot of explanation when we read them, because a lot of times they came out of the heart of somebody who is going through a difficult time. I think if you were to pull out your diary and read it in life, you would see that there has been difficulties that have happened. And maybe there are questions that you might ask. And so this particular one has a lot of questions in this particular psalm. And uh, this is what we would call a messianic psalm. What's interesting is that Psalm 16 uh, is a messianic psalm in Psalm 110. And what I mean by that is these are psalms that actually are written to project and help us to prophesy and understand Jesus as the Messiah. And so you can read into this psalm a little more with understanding if you realize that it's a messianic psalm. It's talking about what is to come. Many times when you're reading the psalms, you can read them during the night and you can relate with the dirge, if you would, of the spirit or attitude of the person writing. And by the time they get to the end of the psalm, there is an incredible desire to praise the Lord and be thankful for him because if you meditate upon things and you take them to the Lord, he will give you then the answer and he'll give you peace through the difficult time. I think if we were to look at Psalm 2, we could actually come up with an outline. You might want to write this on the side. This is not the sermon, but I thought it was interesting that this particular psalm is broken up into three particular phases. If you would look at verse number 1 all the way down to verse number 3, and these verses are actually dealing with the opposition of what they would, the old English word for the heathen, and we'll explain that in a minute. minute. So that was the opposition of the heathen to Christ and his kingdom. There is this opposition. And we have to remember that as we increase in deception in our culture, that there is going to be even more opposition toward what is true and what is needful. And so here in verses 1 through 3, we see this. Let me read to you the opposition of the heathen, if you would, to Christ and his kingdom. He says, why do the heathen rage? That's the word assembly with loud, loudly. And the people imagine, that's dealing with meditate, on a vain thing, something that's empty, doesn't result to anything. So the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And what they say is, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We don't want anything to do with them because those are the people that actually are causing us difficulty when we're not. The, the Jews have always been a problem. They never really really a problem, but people think they are. The problem is... We'll talk about it in a moment. But number four through nine gives us an understanding of his dominion and triumph over these that actually think and meditate upon a vain thing. He's going to then show them who's in charge. Verse number four says, he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. Does God laugh? He laughs at the foolishness of men because they think they're wise, but yet they are foolish. The Lord shall have them in derision. That's why I titled this Contemporary Confusion. It's because there is a confusion in the air. And then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet... Have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion? I will declare the decree that the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. 
Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thy inheritance. This is what God is saying to Jesus. Uh, and, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with the rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel. It's not very good news, but this is giving us an understanding that there is dominion from the heavens, and they will triumph over these people who are assembling against God and trying to destroy truth. And then ending in verses 10 through 12, we see the kings, and since we are priests and kings in the Lord, we are exhorted to submit to Christ. It says, be now, be wise now, therefore, because of all this, be wise, you kings, and be instructed, you judges of the earth. And so really is an admonishment to those that are the rulers of the world and to those that are in places of authority as far as the law enforcement is concerned, the judges, or people that would discern and make choices in the earth. And he says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And then kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. What a beautiful Psalm, but I want to go back to the understanding of the first verse as far as my thoughts coming out, is that it says in verse number one, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And so as he's meditating and as he's writing in his diary, he's coming up with this question and saying, why are people against God? And why do people imagine a vain thing? Basically, like they would ever be able to succeed with some scheme of overcoming the God of heaven. So that's vain imaginations that they could actually outthink God. The word heathen is used here, and we wonder what that means. It means Gentiles. It's the same word. A Hebrew word means pagans, or could be used for idolaters, uh, the heathen would be, I feel, like a contemporary way, way of saying it is all the anti-Jesus people is what he's talking about when he says, why do these people rage? And the word rage is interesting because it makes an agitated noise against the plans of God, whether it's internally or whether it's gathering together. And so we see this comes out, one of the commentators was saying, that, it, that the sinners are opposed to God, even so much as to produce violent agitation of mind and a fixed and determined purpose to plans and decree of God, especially with the respect of the reign of the Messiah, meaning Jesus Christ. And so uh, people may refer to the church crowd as those are just religious people. Those are just the Jesus people. Those are the people that are actually Bible thumpers. Well, can I share with you that those are really the wise people of our day? And they may, you may look and they may, you might seem like they're foolish, but they're wise. The commentary went on to say that their plans to resist this will be vain and ineffectual. Wisely, as their schemes may be laid out and determined as they themselves in regard to their execution, yet they must find them empty without any strength, without any real purpose, without any effectiveness. And so he goes on to say what is implied here of the particular plans against the Messiah is true of all purposes of sinners when they array themselves against the government of God. 
And the outcome of that is going to be a strong derision, if you would, and somewhat of a delusional people that think that they can live the way they want to and come up with all kinds of things that would confuse the generation in which we're in. And so contemporary confusion is all I can think about. Contemporary confusion of our day seems to be on the increase. When I talk about confusion, I want to define it from 1828 Dictionary because a lot of times you're using the same vocabulary, but we're using a different dictionary. And so I wanted to go back to where there is a true dictionary that used the Word of God to explain words. 1828 uh, Webster Dictionary says that confusion means a mixture of several things promiscuously, disorder, irregularity, as the confusion of the tongues at Babel, tumult, want of order in a society. And we know that God is not the author of confusion because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 33, for God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all churches of the saints. In James chapter 3, verse number 16, I like the book of James. I believe that he wore a beard. I believe he was strong in the Lord. And he said this in chapter 3, verse 16, for where there is envying and strife, there is confusion in every evil work. That actually explains the day in which we live in. One of the most popular contemporary confusing issues is this transgender issue. Gender equality and gender identity are some of the topics being discussed today. There is the woke issue. There is the economic issue that says that if we actually make everybody the same, that we'll actually be better off. That's communism. That's socialism. And that does not work. And eventually it is the downcome to any culture. If you refuse to work, you don't eat. That's the way the Bible teaches. And so you must work and you must eat and enjoy life because that's the way God has designed it. The tighter you are when you go to bed, the more easier you are to get along with most of the time. God has all gave the responsibility to, to model. I think it's important for us to remember uh, back to this transgender issue confusion that's going on is that God has actually taught us in the scripture that there are two genders and not three or four or five or six. And so let it be, let it be known. When you walk into this church, we have bylaws that say that you're actually, your biological sex, what you were born in, is the restroom that you use. Otherwise, we will remove you from the church. You say, well, that's pretty strong. No, that's just being truthful to a culture that's lying out there. They're lying to you and convincing you that there are mistakes that God has made. He made no mistakes. You either XX or YX, either one, or XY, either one. Not, not three different ways. And I think it's important for us to understand Matthew 19, verse number four. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? remember when I was a little boy and they come up with this unisex bathroom. You know, that was just a step into this whole direction. Into the cesspool we're in today began when I was just a little guy, you know, looking up and wondering if it's got a dress on. I don't go in that bathroom. 
And if you've got trousers on, I go in that restroom. That's just the way it was. Things have changed. Now they have all gender restrooms because you've got to cover everybody, even the alphabet, LBGTQ, whatever. You've got to actually appease them. That's our culture in which we live in, but the culture is lying to us. Because there are just two genders, that's what God said. And let me just say this, that if a person is going to say, well, there are more than one gender, and I'm going to be in between, you know what you've done? You've cut yourself off from God. That's right. You said, God, you made a mistake. No, he makes no mistakes. The Bible is very clear that God gave us then responsibilities to model the distinction between what is male and what is female in our culture today, we don't hear this. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5 says, The woman shall not wear that which pertains unto a man, neither shall a man uh, put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord. God is very clear on the transgender issue. Old Testament, it's also in the New Testament. The Bible says in the Corinthians that if we want to wear that which pertains to a woman, he calls it effeminate. And he, and he discusses and says that these are the people that will not inherit the kingdom of God unless they are born again, and so they can come and be saved. So we need to treat all people, I really believe, with respect um, and respectfully by lovingly telling them the truth because only the truth will make them free. And if someone is confused about their gender, then they need to seek counsel from a loving person who will help them with their natural and biological birth and who they really are and what God has for their purpose in life. And they need to know that God fearfully and wonderfully created them so that they can actually have uh, and understand they need to know God and then know that he makes no mistakes. I think it's important to rest on the issue in Psalm 139, verse number 13. It says, For thou hast possessed my reins, and thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. And I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance is not hid from thee. And when I was made in secret and curiously Wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned. And how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. And so when we're talking about these issues of the day, we go directly to Psalm 2, verse number 1, where it says, Why do the heathen or the idolaters or, if you would, the Gentiles or the anti-Jesus people, and, and why would these people rage and why do they imagine or meditate upon a, faint, a vain thing? And uh, the question is, why do people revolt and disagree with God concerning this issue? Well, just like any other issue, uh, they have a selfish agenda and a foolish agenda. Um, they claim to love, but they really don't. They're just in the opposite of love. They lust. And we could go into that, but I don't want to, I don't want to park there. But there are two reactions, I really believe, to this psalm, Psalm 2. The reactions in verse number 1, either they get angry toward the truth, that's why they rage, or they will fleshly imagine to come up with something that is completely opposite to truth. And either way we look at verse number 1, verse number 1 
is rebellion against God. And so when we're talking about rebellion against God, we think, well, the world is in rebellion against God. But how much rebellion do we have within our own hearts at times? And it gets us to the place of saying, ultimately, the rebellion against Jesus Christ and his kingdom is mentioned here. And I really believe that there are those in, in the service today that have a tender compassion toward the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And Christ has always had opposition. I think really when they first opposed Christ when he was born. Remember they killed the babies to begin with and they were trying to destroy the, the opportunity that Jesus had to be able to be raised up and then jo- Joseph in a dream went into Egypt to protect Jesus Christ and then he came back and was seen after that among the wise men and they even tried to destroy him at that time and it, his life is seen uh, as a difficult time in, in history. I think it's important uh, for us to, to understand uh, that this first verse and really the dimensions of it is rebellion. And ultimately, it was rebellion against Jesus Christ. I like what Psalm 110 says in verse number 2. It's another messianic psalm. It says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion, and he shall rule in the midst of thine enemies. And so there is rebellion around the world in all nations, Greek, Jews, Romans, any kind of culture that you would actually be into. There is going to be rebellion in the world. There is a rebellion in the ranks, whether it's the kings or the presidents or the vice presidents or the house, maybe in your own governor's mansion, there would be rebellion. Um, against crowds, there is rebellion. I was thinking, as I was preparing this, about how that the rebellion was shown during the push against law enforcement here in our own city and how that they were breaking the windows and they assembled for one purpose, and that was to destroy and cause confusion. And it was not of God. And uh, us, we look at this and we realize that rebellion, first of all, is worldwide. And then we see the determination of the rebellion in verse number 2. It says, the kings of the earth set themselves. So they take counsel. So this is deliberate, determined rebellion because they take counsel against God. And it's combined, so they're together, and it it is resolute because they set themselves, and never has any other kingdom had such rebellion and disdain than the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And for you to feel that maybe perhaps somebody who is sold out to Christ and that they're constantly on track serving him, that you would think that this particular person is foolish, I would remind you of what the Bible says that his kingdom is real and it is forever. Never has any other kingdom had such rebellion against it, such as such disdain and anger than the kingdom of God. And one of the writers said the same outward rage is what came out in Goliath's life. I was reading about that, and it defied Israel and threatened them, and they threatened his God, and that's where David then took the stones, and he was able to conquer Uh, The rebellion there, we look back at Goliath and David's story. Psalm 12, verse number 4 says, Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail. 
and our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Our culture is desiring to be that way. They don't want anybody lording over them. They want to do their own thing. Let me just remind you that God is sitting on his throne and laughing at them at times because they think that they got it together and they don't. Luke 19, verse number 14 says, But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is the desire, really inner desire of rebellion in verse number three. Let us break the hands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And so let us remove any kind of restraint. And you see that happening in our world today. We kind of lessen, if you would, the, the offense, you know. You know, did you realize that someone could go shoplift right now and as long as they're not a regular, they're okay? Did you realize that? And if you have, if you go to the, if you go to the, the talk to anybody that's at a store where there's, there's someone that's actually shoplifting regularly, it's like, oh, he's one of the regulars. He comes in here all the time. He just gets his stuff. That this really happens. And so then, then they can do something. Then they can actually get him into a program because he probably needs to be talked out of it, like saying, that's a no-no. That'll help him. Yeah. No, he needs to be disciplined. You heard it from me. It needs, to be, it needs to be clear that anybody who has a problem stealing is not mental up here. They are disobedient to what God had, because he said, thou shalt not what? Right, it doesn't belong to you. You have to work for what you get, and you have to continue to, to supply for other people so you can help them also. And maybe they're struggling at times. And so there is this desire to remove any kind of responsibility and any kind of requirements that actually, it's amazing because you can't even give a trophy away today. Otherwise, they get, everybody gets a trophy type thing. I don't understand this, to be honest with you. You need to earn what you get. It's just the way it is. We raised four sons, and we didn't have any kind of, I mean, good night. They had a Marine for a dad and a preacher for a dad. I can't even believe they lived through that, to be honest with you. But I was watching around the campfire the last couple days, and I'm so thankful for the men of God that we were able to raise. And I'm thankful for my sons, and I'm thankful now for my grandsons. And a nephew comes, and now they had another fella come with us to hunt with them that works hard and has his own company and continues to do what is required of them and what is responsible for them, and that there are restraints. And and by the way, those restraints, there's true freedom in those restraints. There has to be this told to our culture today. Kids are going to school and they're learning all kinds of strange doctrine by their pot-smoking teacher. That's what they're learning. If that offends you, then come see me afterwards. I'll meet you out back. I'll go down to Culver's and you can sit out back for a while. I'm not trying to be mean. Someone's got to say something. It's not the day for long robes. It's the day to tell people the truth. Doctrines would be readily believed if they involved in them. Doctrines would be readily believed if they involved in them. No precepts. And the church may be tolerated by the world if she had lost her discipline. And so the yoke of Jesus Christ is easy and his burden is light. 
And I'm so thankful that at an early age, someone told me where I was so foolish enough with such little faith to put everything in the hands of my God in heaven, even my soul, and to trust in Jesus Christ alone. And his Holy Spirit came into my life and changed me on the inside. And now I am no longer blind to these things. I think that with much wisdom comes much madness today because we get a little bit upset with the way the world is going. And so the kingdom of God to the righteous is bright and light and it's soft and pleasant as silk to the saved, but to to the rebel, it is a hangman's noose. And the way of the transgressor will always be hard. You can't make it easy if you go against God. It's important that we understand this. Then there is the derision, if you would, of the rebellion. We see that in verse number 4. Verse number 4 says, He that sits in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision and confusion. We see that in our day and age, the unreasonableness of the rage, the uselessness of the rage, the politicians against Christ, the philosophers against Christ, even the religious people against Christ in our day and our culture we live in. So the sinner is against Christ. Why? Basically because of rebellion. And they're rebelling against the God who loves them and cares for them. The displeasure of rebellion is in verse number 5, and then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them, trouble them with sore displeasures. How many would say that we're living in perilous times today? Time I turn the news on, I see another shooting. Another one happened yesterday in Texas. And you say, well, you go to church to hear about all these bad things. Just wait a minute, this sermon's not over. But there is this understanding and this displeasure of the rebellion. For God to speak is the same to act. In Psalm 33, verse number 9, the Bible says, For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. That's why we worship a powerful God. It's because he is able with his words to change everything. And we look to him for help in times like these. So the Bible actually uses the word vex here. I think it's interesting because that word means to agitate and terrify them. And the church may be opposed, but it will never be suppressed. John Bunyan, in a vision, saw a man throwing water on the flame. And yet the flame continued to burn and get somewhat brighter. And he wondered, how could it burn on and on until he saw that there was one behind the door pouring oil on the flame? Satan is pouring oil on the flame of the rebellion in our culture to the place that we have drag people reading to our children in our own country. That's an abomination. God. And if we don't change our ways, America, God will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he destroyed them, not because of their lack of hospitality, but because of their perverted lifestyle. And every perverted lifestyle 
in every single civilization would be destroyed because of their own perverted ways. And that's what this is saying to us. Why do these people think that they can change things just by having some kind of a meeting and making more laws and more rules? America, you have rebelled against the God who created you and who made you and who designed you. Oh, America, turn back to God before it's too late. Turn back for our baby's sake as I held Caroline. I thought about this is why I do what I do. For 25 years, maybe I've been a mockery to my neighbors, but I have lifted up Jesus Christ in the name of the only hope of our culture today is Jesus. The only hope for your soul is Jesus Christ. The only hope of heaven for you is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed 2,000 years ago. And his resurrection that took place, not only so that we could see him alive, but so he could impute his righteousness to you after taking away your sin. Because life is not a game. You're going to end up someday with somebody else taking your arms and folding them on your chest because you are going to be gone. And you'll either be in heaven or you'll be in hell. The scriptures are true, and mock me if you want to, but there are just two results to your life, heaven or hell. And there's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who loves you so. And so the deliverance, then, of the rebellion is in verses 6 through 12, and I'm not going to read them because of the time, and Jesus Christ resurrected and sitting upon his throne. We see that in verse number 6. It says, Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill in Zion or Jerusalem. And this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was prophesied in these particular psalms, Psalm 2, um, Psalm 110, Psalm, I think it was 17, whichever one. But Daniel chapter 7 gives us the best description. Daniel chapter 7, verse number 9. Listen to what the Bible says. And I beheld, still the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. And a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands of thousands ministered unto him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the judgment was set. And the books were opened. And I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away and their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And then I saw in the night's vision and behold, one like the son of man 
coming in the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and kingdom and all the people and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And let me just encourage you again that all of these kingdoms and kings of this earth can come against the God of heaven, but they will never win. The United Nations will never succeed to be able to do anything for anybody except the God of heaven sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to take care of the sin problem. And then it's interesting because there's final comments and concerns in the psalm. I think verse number 10 gives us, there's an admonition here, the final comments. Verse number 10 says, Be wise, therefore, ye kings, and be instructed, ye judges of the earth. What an admonition the Bible actually gives us there. I like what Charles Spurgeon said concerning that verse. Spurgeon was a prolific writer, a godly person. He didn't have the internet in those days. He had books. And if you ever would see him writing in pictures, he would have stacks of books all over the place. And uh, he wrote this, As Jesus is king of kings and judge of judges... So the gospel is the teacher of the greatest and wisest. And if any are so great as to spurn its admonitions, God will make little of them. And if they are so wise to despise its teachings, their fancied wisdom shall make fools of them. The gospel takes a high tone before the rulers of the earth. And they who preach it should, like Knox and Melville, Magnify their office by bold rebukes and manly utterances, even in the royal presence. A clerk, clerk, clerkial sycophant is only fit to be a scullion in the devil's kitchen. In other words, don't be so big for your britches. You know nothing until you've come to Christ. And then there's some direction given. Look at verse number 11. It says, serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with traveling. I can't help but think about the psalmist sitting in a room all by himself with these questions. Why do the heathen rage? Why do they meditate upon a vain thing? God is going to take care of them. Then he comes at the end of this and says, it is best for us to serve the Lord with fear. Fear, or with reverence it's talking about. I think an improper fear of God does damage. But I think a proper fear of God is a reverent fear. You know that God is in complete control of your life, and you ought to reverence him, even on the Lord's Day, Sunday morning. And then in closing, he comes up with this persuasion, if you would. Look what it says in verse 12. Kiss the sun. Lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. And blessed are they that put their trust in him. What does it mean to kiss the sun? What it's basically saying, it's saying submit to him. Trust in him. Obey him. The kiss here in accordance to the oriental usage is a sign of submission or allegiance to the son of God. Believe the gospel and then receive the gospel. 
I remember years ago being in a house where we had a black and white TV, and I used to watch Opie on that TV. You might remember that. We used to watch Opie fishing with, remember? They whistle, you know, I'd do it, but I can't remember it fully. That was during the day, and sometimes I'd be homesick from school, and I could, I could watch those programs and stuff. But at night, 1968, 1969, my mom's probably watching from home. She would turn the Billy Graham Crusades on. What a voice for God. It was so clear, wasn't it? He made sin horrible, but he made Jesus so attractive. And it was there that my mom decided that she was going to kneel down next to the couch and receive Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. It changed our household. Up to that point, there was alcohol in the house. I remember racing upstairs after the parties and drinking down the last little beers that were in. You know, I didn't care who drank from it. There was some left over for me, just maybe seven years old or so. But boy, did that change because the parties quit and the good news clubs came in. And they started praying with me at night before I went to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You've heard that one, right? And we used, to sit, we used to pray that all the time. What is it? I pray the Lord before I... Can anybody help me out with it? Yeah, you sound like we're speaking in tongues there for a minute. I was like trying to figure out where I was at. But yeah... You know that prayer then, didn't you? Did your parents pray that with you when you were little? You're very blessed because your parents told you the truth. I don't know what's wrong with parents today. Why don't they get their children in a good Christian school? Why don't they pray with them at night? Why don't they give them enough resources so that they can grow up with a backbone and knowing that God is true and understand that the philosophers will rage and they'll think about all these things? I mean, who comes up with solar panels to save our world? Who comes up with these things? So I'm traveling down 18, heading down deer hunting. Did you see those big, huge windmills? They destroyed the whole countryside. Who goes down the road and says, my, aren't those nice? They're so colorful. No, they're, they're going to save the, they're going to save the world. They're going to Check out your exhaust system because you could be destroying the world. You know what? I looked at God looks down and just laughs. I, I said it before. Did you know that one volcano, one volcano erupting puts more fumes into the ozone layer than we have since 1940? Just one. And they're like screaming, global warming, we're causing all this. Because guess what? Jesus rules still on this earth for a thousand years yet. Oh, Jesus can't come back now because we messed it up down here. Yeah, that's what God is doing from heaven. He's, he's laughing. The foolishness of man. This woke crowd and the transgender crowd. Boy, we've got a lot on our plate. But let me tell you something. God is overall, And he will give you the right mind so that you can continue on and do what he desires for you to do. The first step 
is to accept him. It's so true. It's the gospel. I just read from you, uh, from Psalms. It actually explains. I read from Daniel. This is all prophesying. The Messiah was going to come, and he did come. And he's coming again. And this is all true. Praise God you're in church this morning. But maybe you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And you're thinking that maybe perhaps you have another way. Let me share with you that there is no other way. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then receive the gospel. And don't get sucked in to the rebellious world and their thinking. Have a clear mind that is renewed daily and that is humble enough to help the average person know Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Let's have an invitation. This is an old-fashioned church. We have an invitation, and if you need to make a decision, you can do it today. Maybe you need some help from somebody from the Scriptures to show you how you can go to heaven for sure. Maybe you need someone to show you from the Scriptures how you can trust the Lord. You've already received him, but you're having troubles, and so you can come. We have people that help you to understand more of what the Bible says. But maybe you just need to come and pray this morning. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know if this made sense to you. But if it did and you need to change some things, why don't you come? Speak to some people that love you and they'll show you the truth. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand? Let's have an invitation. I'm going to pray and as soon as I'm done, the piano will play. And the invitation will begin. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.